for the pastor when you're the pastor's daughter. Can we just give her permission to say dad? Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so we're beginning a, a three-part series this Sunday on the subject of joy. <laughs> yeah. From the, from the letter to the Philippians. It's all going to be in Philippians. It's no secret that of all of uh, Paul's letters that Philippians is the happiest letter he wrote. It's the most joy-filled. But I'd like to suggest that we come to this letter actually with one question. Simply, why? <laughs> what causes Paul to express this over and over again in this letter? This, this joy. I believe I have three compelling reasons which are going to be in three different messages this week, next week, and then you're going to have to wait a few weeks uh, because there's several things happening this summer, so I'll be coming back in July for the third one. But uh, three compelling reasons Paul is so joyful. The reason that he uses the expressions joy and rejoice no fewer than 14 times in this letter. It's not going to be uh, a thoroughgoing exposition of the whole letter of Philippians. This is not a series on all of Philippians, but rather the series is going to focus on the answer to this question. Why all this joy? So we'll begin with the same verse that we took as our springboard actually for the last series we just finished in the Master's Workshop. And it is in our text this morning. It's verse 6. Hear it again. I am confident of this, writes Paul, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. Now, right before this statement, Paul admits to constantly praying for the Philippians, for the, his brothers and sisters there, that these, and, and that these prayers he's praying constantly are joyful prayers. This is the first of 14 times that he mentions joy. And I think part of what causes his prayers to be joyful was this. His confidence in God as a finisher. God began a work in the lives of the Philippians and he will continue it. Paul is confident of this. God is a finisher. Anything God starts, God will finish. God does not leave uncompleted tasks around. God's a finisher. And when he speaks of the beginning of the good work among the Philippians, I have a strong sense that he's remembering something. That his memories hearken back to an experience he had some 10 plus years before Paul was on his second missionary journey. He was in Asia Minor with ministering alongside Silas, a man named Silas, and they came to the city of Philippi. Now, in Philippi, they were going one day to a place of prayer, and there was a girl. She was a slave girl. She was actually, sadly, demon-possessed. She was also, because of her demon possession, she was a fortune teller. 
So she would, day after day, as they walked by her, this slave girl would call out to them and she would say these words, these men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She would yell that out as they walked by. These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. Paul and Silas finally, this is happening day by day, and finally they turned to her and they cast out the demon. Why do you think they did this? Was it out of compassion for her? Because they wanted to help her? Actually, no. <laughs> they cast out the demon because she was annoying them. <laughs> really, it says it in the text. You read it, Acts 16, 18. Because she was annoying them, they cast out the demon. So out the demon came right, right then, and also what happened was the girl lost her ability to tell the future, which also affected her owners, remember she's a slave, her owner's ability to make money from what she was doing. And so they were angry that they lost their source of income, and they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them before a judge who had them summarily stripped, beaten, and thrown into the darkest corner of the city jail with their feet in stocks, the whole deal. This is a little picture of what life in Philippi was like. Not a great place. So the amazing thing was that Paul and Silas were somehow undaunted by this experience, and, and even at midnight that night, they were not, as maybe you or I would be, worried or anxious or moaning, but rather singing and praying to God in jail. And all the other prisoners are listening to them. You know what happened next? Who knows? What was it? An earthquake, yeah, this is this giant earthquake. The whole jail starts to shake and when it stopped, all the jail cell doors were magically open and all the chains that were on the, the prisoners had fallen off. Now this is great news for everyone except the jailer <laughs> and who immediately drew his own sword to kill himself because he knew that the punishment for losing your prisoners, even one, not to mention a whole jailhouse full of them, the punishment was death. So he was just going to take his own life and Paul immediately, immediately said, stop, don't do that. We're all still here. So then the jailer fell at Paul and Silas's feet and asked, what must I do to be saved? And they answered him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And after that, they took care of Paul and Silas's wounds. Remember, they had been beaten that day, so they, they, they bandaged them up, they took care of them, and then they had a baptismal service. And the whole household was baptized. So I'm telling you this story to get to this point because there is a verse in this, this passage in Acts 16, the last verse about the Philippian jailer has this phrase. And he and his whole household rejoiced that he had become a believer. When Paul says the words, 
began a good work. When he's thinking about the Philippians. He who began a good work. I have a feeling he's thinking back to that night. This whole musical, prayerful, joyful beginning of the Philippian church and the way it all happened in a jailhouse of all places. As Paul prays for the Philippians, if he has this in mind, how could he not have joy in his heart as he thinks about it? And here's the rest of the first answer to our why question. Why joy? How could he not have confidence that with a beginning like that and the the history since then, how could he not have confidence that this all meant God was going to bring the whole enterprise to a glorious, joyful completion? That transformation is God's work. He started it. He continues it and he will finish it. And here is one of the most significant causes of joy in the life of a disciple of Jesus. That God is at work transforming you, transforming me. He began it. He will continue it. He will finish it. We, we, we don't need to somehow be scheming or, or calculating how we're going to become more like Jesus. No, God is doing it. We simply say yes to him. And he does it. For, now, for me, this relieves a, a, a great deal of pressure. This is how discipleship is so different from so much of what we see in our culture in terms of self-help. Because <laughs> you don't have to be clever. You don't have to be well-educated. You don't have to know the latest methods or read the latest book or, book or even be saintly somehow. The main thing is to be willing And God will bring to completion what he has started in you, transforming you into becoming more like Jesus. This is really good news. We we have just finished five weeks here at Mountain View looking at the tools we have in terms of spiritual disciplines, the tools we have in the process of saying yes to God's desire to transform us. Prayer, meditation, solitude, study, all of these things. But what will it look like when it happens? What's it going to look like? Paul answers this question in verses 9 through 11 of our text as he prays for them. These are Genevieve's verses from this morning as well. This is pretty cool that this all came together on this Sunday. So we can see in this prayer that Paul is praying, what their transformation will look like. And I'm helped here by the biblical commentator N.T. Wright, who wrote that there are three elements in this prayer of of transformation for, for the Philippians. The first one is that Paul prays that their love will overflow in knowledge and wisdom. I love this picture of overflowing. Because it, it reminds me of something really significant that happened in my life four years ago. I went to a conference down in uh, Louisiana, a, a conference for pastors called Credo. And um, 
I actually brought home a picture of something that happened to me. It's this, this picture. I don't know if you remember this, those of you who are around four years ago. But this was, um, the conference center was called the Solomon Center, and it was on a lake. And um, every morning I got up and I'd walk around the lake, and I noticed this pipe. This is like a 20-foot tall pipe. It's really big. And it was um, the first three days I saw it, Sunday, uh, four days, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I, I walked by this pipe on my walk every morning, and this, it was wet. It was just kind of glistening wet. And I remember looking at it the first day and thinking, what in the world is that thing? It, it was down at the bottom of a hill. On the other side of the hill was the lake, man-made lake. And this, this glistening wet pipe is there. And finally I thought, you know, maybe that's the overflow pipe or the, maybe that's the way that they maintain the, the lake to be the right level. And, you know, sure enough, Wednesday night it rained torrentially, really hard. Thunder, lightning, rain all night. I remember waking up in the middle of the night and this, all this thunder and lightning. You know, it's one of those southern rainstorms. And I got up the next morning, and it was a nice day, as you can see, and I went for my walk, and I came around the corner, and I saw this thing, and I just absolutely, I just broke down and started to cry. Because the other thing was I was praying that God would show me something during this week. God, what are you wanting to do in my life? And as soon as I saw this, I knew exactly what it was. God wanted my life to be characterized by overflowing joy. And I had lost it. I had absolutely lost it. And this overflowing pipe, I mean, the whole thing, the lake and everything became such a rich metaphor for me, and I'll, if you want to know about it, I'll tell you sometime. But um, you can go back and listen to the sermon from to this. It's still on the website. Anyway, but I really believe that God wants joy to overflow in our lives like this. That water is coming out of there really hard. It's kind of hard to see it, but that's a giant pipe, and it's just going everywhere. I think God wants overflowing to happen in our life like this. And we see this all throughout scripture. You read in the New Testament, look, do a search for joy in the New Testament and you are gonna be absolutely amazed at how much joy there is in the New Testament. It's a major, major theme. I mean, one example, John 15, 11, Jesus says to his disciples, I have said these things to you that, that, so that my joy my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. He talks, about, he, he talks about living water that bubbles up in our lives. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Joy, complete joy, overflowing joy is, is so much a part of what God wants for us. So we think of joy this way and for good reason. And maybe we also think of love this way that love would overflow, and that's appropriate because Paul talks about that in this passage as an overflowing, but not in the way that we may be thinking because as we think of love being overflowing, we think, of it's a, we think of it as a feeling, that love overflows in us and that we kind of feel loving, but Paul is not saying this. He's saying their love is to overflow in knowledge and wisdom. This is different. N.T. Wright points out that for Paul, the Apostle Paul, the head and the heart are not separated as, they, as, they, as much as they probably are for you and me. We often say that the greatest distance in humankind is the distance from here to here. We think about things, but we don't feel them. 
especially in our culture. But Paul is saying that it's possible for this to be different. It's possible for, for love to work its way into knowledge and wisdom that you could never learn from a book or get out of a classroom. No, this is knowledge that is tempered by love. It's a love that is shot through with wisdom. It's a kind of wisdom that even when it knows a few moments ago that someone was your jailer, that you can still see through to loving them enough to bring them to Jesus in baptism. Can you imagine someone who did you harm that you turn around and you lead them to Christ and you baptize him? So there's the first element of how saying yes to God's transforming work will look. Our lives will be overflowing with a love that is knowledge and wisdom. It's a different kind of overflowing love. So the second way then, the second element, Paul continues to pray that this wise love will also bring them into moral discernment. Moral discernment. To help them, quote, determine what is best so that in the day of Christ they may be pure and blameless, as it says in verse 10. Now, something we know of the Philippians is that they lived in a... uh, an important city, a Roman colony. So it was a place where many competing cultures and moralities collided, where where right and wrong were not easy to know, where moral choices were not obvious. It was a confusing place to live as a disciple of Jesus. Lots of shades of gray. Does that sound familiar? not unlike where we live today. So Paul prays, remember, confidently, joyfully prays that they would know what is right and wrong in the midst of all this moral distortion. So that when the day came for them to stand before Christ, they would be pure and blameless. This, friends, is one of the goals of our lives of being transformed moral discernment, that we will not only know what is right, but that we will do it. The world is full of people who can talk about morality. We need more people who simply live morally. The second element. And then the third Finally, Paul prays for another overflowing in their lives, that their lives might overflow, that their lives might be fruitful. He talks about a harvest in terms of righteousness, right living, verse 11. Now, we need to know something here about what Paul means when he uses the word, this word righteousness in the Greek, dikaiosunis. Sometimes it's translated as righteousness, but it also carries a deeper meaning, a meaning of God's own faithfulness, and even suggests membership in God's family with all the blessings inherent there. Forgiveness of sins, grace and mercy, the way it happens in God's family. So when Paul prays for this harvest, this this overflowing, he's praying that they will live in this kind of life, a forgiveness life, if you will. Remember the words of Jesus on this subject? 
Who forgives much? Who is it that forgives much? Yeah, those who have been forgiven, those who have been loved. Luke 7, 47. There is always a connection there between being part of God's forgiven family and being called to live in forgiveness. It's even embedded in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples that we forgive as we are forgiven. To live in forgiveness. We are called to live in in forgiveness, offering it to others. And this is, I believe, what Paul is praying for the Philippians, that they would be transformed, that this this dikaiosunis righteousness would overflow in them to the point that they would mirror God's faithfulness in their faithful, forgiving love for each other. And this is what it means to have God's work completed and finished in each one of us. My question for you is, do you see this happening in your own life? I have a challenge for you today. I challenge you, especially if you're here today with family or close friends, to ask someone today, ask them someone close to you, if they see this kind of work happening, taking place in your life, ask. Now, this may take some courage, (laughs) but maybe at lunch today, maybe at the supper table, this is a great sharing question. We do sharing questions at our table, um, mostly because Chris... um, has led us in this amazing tradition of doing sharing questions. Here's a great sharing question. Paul prayed for overflowing love to come to the Philippians. Do you see this in my life? This love mixed with knowledge and wisdom, this moral integrity, this forgiveness life, is it evident? Do you have the courage to ask people who know you well if that's happening in your life? For some of us, We need to be encouraged that it is taking place. And this will be great joy. For some of us, perhaps we need to say yes to this process. Right now, we're not really saying yes to it. Inviting Jesus to come into our lives and to begin this work, maybe begin it anew. God is ever so willing to transform us in this way. If we're willing, and the sign of that transformational knowledge, wisdom, moral integrity, and grace-filled forgiveness, the sign is, guess what? It's joy. Deep, abiding, overflowing joy. So here's the invitation. Say yes to this transformational process. It's rich, and it's joyful, and it's yours for the asking. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Oh God, I thank you that you are inviting us to walk with you in a way where we are day by day molded, not by this world, not squeezed into this world's mold, but Lord, we are transformed into being more like Jesus Christ. That's the desire of my heart, God. Lord, I pray that anyone today who 
really feels like they haven't even begun this would, would take the time after this service to, to, to seek out someone to pray with, um, maybe even over here under the hope sign. God, I pray that this room, Lord, is, is, as it's full of people today, that we, God, would all be a people who are saying yes to what you want to do in our lives, changing us, transforming us, causing this deep joy to happen in our lives. Lord, we give to you our lives, we give to you our offering this, now, this morning, and may, Lord, you bless the offerings of both our lives and our gifts, we pray through Christ, amen. The ushers wait on us for the offering this morning. May God bless you as you give.